Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am enjoying the winter wonderland all around me. Oh, you have snow falling? Well, actually, it fell on Sunday. Oh, wow. 
we were we were going to go out, and well, there's you know there was some snow in the car, and we brushed it off, and then I got in the car, and I was sitting in the car, and the headlights are on, and I'm thinking, I feel like I'm in a snow globe. Wait a second, this is I should not be going out in this, and I turned the car off and went back inside. Aww. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Good choice. No, 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 no. This is not like an urgent thing you're going off to do. This is just for fun. You, you should, you should not do it in a snow globe. And and it was that very softly falling snow that was wet enough to just accumulate on everything. Yesterday morning, oh. as I went. To, out across the river, the Hudson River, to the hospital for my physical therapy, there was a strong enough wind that where the snow had fallen on all of the wires, you know, strung from pole to pole, every wire was outlined, and the wind would lift up the whole outline along the wire of snow and float it in the air and then gracefully drop it on the ground. Oh, wow. real 
you know, real hassles, which have been trying to get physical books to people. Mm. So with your stars and your keys, you can get PDFs of my books. You can get all kinds of recorded things. You can uh, get access to online video courses, mentorship programs, all all kinds of things. And uh, I'm very excited um, as the students that have been with me for a while but haven't yet uh, gotten their subsidiary uh, materials decide whether they're going to do it the old way or transition to the new way. Mm. And the idea, of course, is that it's supposed to motivate you, right? Yes, so before, I love before, that. Before, there were a bunch of things, you know. In the ABC of herbalism, it might say, make a chickweed tincture, drink a cup of chamomile tea, you know, meat, celandine. And so now it says, you know, two stars for doing any of these actions. Mm. And then when you collect ten stars, um, you get a reward. So that's, I like the that's the motivation, right? Right, right. I'm I'm the kind of person who can really benefit from something like that. I don't want to be overstructured, but to have the opportunity for structure and especially when it's in a motivational way rather than a, a punishing way. That's I love it. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yeah. And everybody, yeah. Everybody who is already taking a correspondence course. Um, our year-end mailing is in the works. Your new lunar calendars are here. And another exciting thing, which I'll say more about in a moment, is here. And um, I got some proofs from um, the print shop today to check out for typos of all the, the stars for each of the courses. And you know, we sat down and we said, gosh, how are we going to do this, you know? Are we going to, like, go through the records and check and see which course each person is taking and put the new information on STARS in her package? And then we looked at each other and we said, why don't we weigh it and see what it is? And it was whether we put one piece of paper in there or all of the pieces of paper, it was still over an ounce, but didn't make it over two, so that's it. Everybody is going to get the star list for all the courses. And even if you don't need them, perhaps they'll be intriguing to you because that is going to be the easiest thing for us. And the thing that I said I'd get back to, I think I might have mentioned that I had this idea that instead of printing my yearly schedule, in ordinary black ink, Times Roman, on a piece of white paper, that I would put it out as a rack card this year. A rack card being um, kind of like a long postcard that's printed on both sides that you would see at uh, the rest stop on the highway or in the lobby of a hotel or a motel. So I'm very, very excited. Justine and I worked on it, and we're quite thrilled with it. It arrived today. So those will be going out. Yeah, those will be going out as well. Very nice. 
And are your courses, are the correspondence courses still on special? They still are for what? A couple of days. Today is the 12th, 13th? Uh, 13th. Mm-hmm. 13th. So until the 15th, you are absolutely right. Join the others who are enjoying themselves with the cozy winter correspondence course. There's lots that you can do in a correspondence course in the wintertime. There'll be lots you can do in the spring and summer and fall, but the winter is not a time to um, do something other than herbs. Herbs herbs are year-round, is what I have to say. What do you think about that? Mm. I so agree with that. Definitely. Definitely agree. There's plenty to be doing in the winter, even though the plants aren't green outside. There's still a lot going on, getting ready for spring and just keeping on top of things and learning about plants in the winter. And, yeah, definitely. Plenty of time to get off labels. (laughs) (laughs) Have you learned something special or fun this year? Uh, This winter, I mean? This winter, um, well, it's yeah, this winter starting. Yeah, just, the winter um, has just started. <laughs> true enough. True enough. Yeah, I learned. I never had that pine needle tea before, and I was really surprised by that. It was so relaxing and calming and soothing. And I just, you know, the scent can be so invigorating that I wasn't necessarily expecting to be so chilled out by the tea. So I would say that I I have learned this winter. Oh, how wonderful. The blessings of white pine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Such a magnificent tree. And if you go to healthylife.net, white pine was the tree of, what was it, October? Within the past couple of months, October, November, I'm always taping a month ahead, so it's hard for me to remember exactly which month which tree is. And I think they keep them up at HealthyLife.net for three months, so you might still be able to catch white pine. And then after that, I think it's it's taken over to the mentor site. Mm. Nice. And actually, you know what? The other thing I've learned, I just poured off, tallow for my first time and I learned that I need to work on that and find a better method because I know there's a better way and I also learned that I made a hops and olive oil tallow and I wasn't sure what was going to come of it but a friend offered me all these hops to come get and um, it is so moisturizing and just really soothing on my hands I could feel it so much like 24 hours later and it, it was really lovely so I learned that so far this winter. Oh, how wonderful. And <laughs> to what do you attribute that soothing? To the tallow, to the hops, to the combination? I think it must, it has something to do, I think, with the hops because I've had tallows before. And sometimes I can almost even find them drying to my hands, depending on what the herb is in there. Um, 
you know, not something that I like in the winter for hands that are kind of getting a little chapped in places. So right. I, I don't, you know, the hop. You think I it's the hop? Yeah. I think so. And the I hop, was thinking it was the, did the hop, were the hop, were the hops really covered in pollen and golden and and fragrant? They were about a day past that. Um, cause I saw them the day before and she said, I don't think they're ready yet. I'm like, why? They look perfect. And she said, I don't think so. I think it's another day. So she, she said, you know, she wanted me to wait a day. So I did. And they, there were a day past that, but pretty close. Some of them were pretty close, pretty close. Uh-huh. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. 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 And what family is hops in? Oh, it's a sister to the cannabis. <laughs> Correct, Ola. Yes. Right. It is the somewhat legal sister. Mm-hmm. And and I say that because there have been times um, in Europe where you, you, you could be killed if you were caught growing hops without the proper authority. And when I was first interested in hops, you could only legally grow hops in New York State if you had a license, and the license cost a million dollars. Oh, wow. And uh, wow. so much strange and interesting lore about it. And New- hops used to be a big crop in New York State. hundred mm. and some odd years ago, um, there was a lot places that grew hops. It's a good place to grow hops. And some of the lore was that you couldn't let the women harvest hops because then they would run amok and pull men off into the bushes. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is really funny. <laughs> Our guest tonight is Dr. Melissa Sophia Joy. What a beautiful name. Melissa means beloved of the bees. Sophia is wisdom. And Joy, well, yes. Dr. Melissa Sophia Joy is a naturopathic doctor who has stepped more into the wise woman way and who has gone through menopause and has quite a lot to say about energy and the energy in menopause and the energy in plants and what she wasn't taught as a naturopathic doctor and what she wants to teach you and to teach you how to share. So come back at 9 o'clock or stick with us until 9 o'clock and you'll be able to hear from Dr. Melissa Sophia Joy. What else is going on in your world? Oh, we are getting the similar type of weather that you talked about, I think, last week where you said you were getting so much rain that if it were snow, it would be, you know, over 10 inches or maybe 20 inches. Yes, That's yes. What, 
Yep, we're supposed to be getting that tonight um, and tomorrow. High winds, so it's not not a lot probably going to be going on here tomorrow. Um, but everybody's going to be hanging close to the barn. Yes, they will. They will. You know, and I wanted to ask you after last week um, when you mentioned making sure that the barn wasn't drafty. It's nice and secure and snug and cozy when it's all closed up. But on chilly days when it's windy or wet, do you open it up to let the goats out? Or do you I let do. them decide? What do you do? I do because there's okay. parts of the barn that they can get into that are kind of out of it. Okay. That's what – okay, good. That's what I've been doing. But there was one yeah. day that I just like. Is, am I making a mistake here? But I've made it so that the door doesn't slide open all the way, so it's plenty cozy still and a good portion exactly. of it. So. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And, you know, I find that goats are pretty much scaredy cats. Yeah, they all. Well, that's what really made me wonder because nobody was outside. I'm like, gosh, should I just close the door because nobody really wants to be out there? Um, <laughs> but they <laughs> but eventually, it, if you did, <laughs> eventually, you know, kind of in their cat-like way, because goats have quite a bit of cat in them, don't they? Oh, it's so true. So true. <laughs> in their cat-like way, pretending that they're not, they'll go outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. They weren't going to do it while I was in the barn waiting and watching to see. <laughs> they had, right, had right, to observe right. somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, but, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty funny about what happens in the wintertime and what stay-at-homes they get to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's amazing how their coats, I mean, they really, as my husband will say, they just look so much puffier in the winter. They do, um, don't they? They really right. do. Uh, I thank the kids for teaching me about getting ready for the winter, that you have to grow your undercoat. Mm. Mm. And for people, what that means is that you want to get your capillaries deeper into your body. In the summertime, you want your capillaries out nearer the skin surface so you can transfer more heat out through the skin and through perspiration. In the wintertime, you want to keep that in. And that capillary bed really does move a little bit. As a matter of fact, that's what the older herbals meant when they talked about blood thickening and blood thinning. They, you would think, well, why would anybody want to thicken their blood? Right? Well, you thicken your blood so that you're cold proof, mm. and then you, and then you thin your blood so that you're heat proof. Wow. I remember you mentioning that before, and it makes so much more sense reading the old herbals and having that piece of information. Right. So yeah. uh, some of those things they talk about, you just kind of scratch your head and go, now how does that make sense? Right. 
right. Thank you. <laughs> yes. It's the book I'm reading to my granddaughter, Monica Jean. Um, it's taking place in the early 1500s. And they're talking about uh, doctors and apothecaries. And mm-hmm. it, it, we were fascinated that they were distinguished. The apothecary was the one who actually dealt with the plants, and the doctor dealt with the people. Hmm. So the doctor would go to the bed side, would administer the herbs that they were gotten from the apothecary, the doctor, at by this point already in the parts of Europe, England, France, Spain, um, Germany, and so on, that are covered in this historical fictional novel about Catherine of Aragon. Um, the, there's already a separation between the person who's with the plants and the person who's tending to the sick people. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Not that there aren't exceptions. Yeah, one mm-hmm. of the characters is an exception to that, both an apothecary and a doctor. But it, it's too hard that it's such a big exception. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Selling and telling. Mm. Sounds like an interesting book. It is. It's called The Spanish Queen. Mm. And it's a fictionalized, account. fictionalized, because, of course, it purports to know what she's feeling. All right. But I don't think that it takes, you know, a lot of intuition to know that a woman who has born three or four children, all of whom die very quickly, um, and the only one that lives is a girl who's kind of sickly, um, that probably we agree if she tells us that this woman is thinking, I am so useless. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't want her to think that. A woman today wouldn't think that. But we can certainly understand how a woman married to the King of England, who has been told her entire life that her only usefulness is to provide an heir to the throne, must Mm -hmm. feel. Certainly an argument could be made that perhaps she didn't feel that way, and thus it is fictional. Wow. But all, all of the all of the players we know as historical figures, and we know that they are playing their part as they did as historical figures. We're at the part right now where uh, King Henry is trying to figure out if he can declare his marriage to her null and void so that he can marry Anne Boleyn. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, sounds like a really interesting book. Yes, it is. 
Do we have any interesting callers tonight? We sure do. There are, let's see, two hands that have been raised. By pressing one, I'll remind everyone else listening that if you would like to speak live and have a question for Susan this evening, you'll need to press one so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. Our first caller is dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hello. Good evening, Susan. Oh, good evening, my love. So good well, to hear you. Very interesting to listen to your stories. Now I have a story here about uh, telomeres. Uh, I am I am in pain, I am dizzy, I am weak, and as you know, I am taking a minimum of metoprolol for my heart and blood pressure, and the infusions and the motherwort and hawthorn uh, that uh, I believe in. I don't believe in the medication. I think it is responsible for my dizziness, which I didn't have all my life, but who knows, anyway. And... um, I heard on YouTube uh, a famous doctor from a famous place talking about telos, telomeres. Uh, the longevity enzyme helps support energy. When I heard energy, I said, oh, my God, maybe that will help. So I ordered it, and uh, I expected for my first intake to be transformed because I'm impatient. I'm very impatient. <laughs> so it didn't happen. <laughs> of course, it didn't happen. But meanwhile, so, I so let me let me like rewind a little bit because I'm missing something here. Okay. Teleomeres uh, is the name given to the end of your DNA helix. Uh-huh. Okay. Teleomere is like the part of the shoelace that you put through the hole. Okay. It's kind of stiff, right? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm getting pale. Well, I'm, I'm asking you to envision a shoelace, okay? Okay. And the part of the shoelace that you put through the hole is stiff, right? Yes. The yes. first little part of the shoelace is stiffened. Yeah. So yes. that you can thread it through the hole. The Heliomere is that little stiffened part. Uh-huh. Okay. And oh, every, oh, that's the original name of it. That's what a teleomere is. Oh, okay. It's that part of the DNA. Okay. Okay? Now, every time the DNA replicates, the teleomere loses a little bit. It's like if you keep lacing and unlacing your shoelaces over and over and over again, eventually that little stiff bit gets not so stiff anymore, right? Yes. Yeah. That, that's, I'm not doing that anymore. But okay, I so, that's, so it's not that we do it or not do it. it because you don't, none of us have any control over whether or not a cell is reproducing. And every time it reproduces, the teleomere gets a little bit shorter. So longevity has to do with people who naturally have longer teleomeres. 
and those who, like you, are supplying their body with the superb nutrition of the nourishing herbal infusions, which helps to keep the telomeres that you have, no matter how short or long they are, flexible so that they don't get shorter. Now I, I, now I know why I'm doing it for three years now. <laughs> right. <laughs> my, my blood pressure didn't go down, nor this, nor that, no medication. It, it's going only up. So uh, I am looking to this medication. Medica- well, it's not a medication. It's called uh, health support, energy-rich, whatever pill. And uh, fortunately, if I'm not happy, I can return it and get my money. It's very expensive for me. So well, the I hope the- that you are happy, but I am glad that if you're not, that you are protected. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, otherwise I wouldn't dare to just throw the money. But uh, my question to you is, I believe when I start something new that anything else that is doing good for me has to be put on the side so I can check what the new thing is really doing. So, uh, (laughs) meanwhile, I... I I think just the opposite. Oh, I think it's easiest to know what the new thing is doing if you don't change anything. Really? Yeah. But whatever new thing comes into my body interacts with everything that I already put in it. That's right. But if you suddenly stop taking all the things you've been taking, you might have effects from stopping. And then you might think those effects are from the new thing. Well, I, I believe that anything interacts that's with everything. Why I, that's why I think it's best just to keep on doing everything you're doing. Okay. And that it? way it will be really clear if the new thing makes a change. That's very interesting. Okay. That's why I called. Right. And the second question is, uh, I didn't go to the dentist uh, because he is in New York City and because of COVID and because for me being in a car is like being tortured, uh, post-shingle neuralgia. And what happened is that I have a, a... a moving denture that is pressing on my gums and they are inflamed on one side. I eat only on the left and I developed an inflammation and a beginning of a TMJ, which are both very, very painful. And I wonder if there is something natural I can do about it. most obvious natural thing is to take the denture out of your mouth until the gum has settled down and is no longer inflamed. Uh, yeah, I did that. But okay. However, yeah, I still have to put it in order to talk and uh, sometimes to, to chew on something very soft. 
and I'm chewing on the other side, and that's a problem, yeah. But for three, for four years since I got that denture, I eat only on the left, and that's the problem, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the gums receded. Because the denture was incorrectly fitted. No, it was very correctly fitted, but I went in the beginning every year for adjustment because the gums reduce themselves as we, as I grow older. That's uh-huh. the so he okay. would fix it, but I didn't go the last two years and a half, and that's what happened, yeah. Got it. So is it possible to go to a dentist that isn't in New York City? I'm trying to find one, but uh, with uh, with my financial situation, uh, I can't really go to anybody I can trust. I understand. It reminds me somewhat of um, hearing someone talk about organic vegetables and saying that it was certainly important to eat organic fruits and organic vegetables but the fact of the matter was that it was more important to eat any fruit in any vegetable than to not eat them because you couldn't get organic so same thing it's probably better to go to a dentist you don't trust that you can afford or that your insurance will cover than not to go at all yeah, well, I I am on a on a mission now to find uh, something called free dental clinic for seniors. Good, good for you. Excellent, yeah. excellent, yeah. excellent. Because it really sounds like, um, you know, exactly what you're saying that you used to do, which was to go and have the denture refitted every year as your mouth changed, and that that kept it yeah. usable and workable for you. Yes, yeah, and it worked okay. It was fine until I stopped going, yeah. Until you stopped going, right. And so, you know, basically what we could do with herbs is just like somehow make you not sensitive to the pain, but that's that's not a nice thing to do. So I'd rather, you know, to see yeah. it actually fitted the way it the way it needs to be and to use it as little as possible and I do hear you that you have to use it if you want to chew. Well, I, I think what I'm not understanding is, is the denture on the right or the left? The denture is total. I don't have any teeth left. The total denture. Got it. Okay. All right. And so it's easier for you to chew on the left side because it fits better on the left than on the right. Somehow, probably, that might have been the re- Yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I understand now. Thank you. Thank you for helping me envision that. And one of the great things about nourishing herbal infusions is they don't require teeth. Yes, I know. I'm dri- I, am, I am drinking like a dromadaire. Right? Right. I mean, they're, they're really... They're so useful in situations where you can't um, get much of anything else to work. The infusions really are so special. 
in those tight situations. I also um, grew up with parents who made frozen custard. And not just, you know, frozen custard for fun, not holiday weekends, but that's what they did for a living. They had a huge, huge ice cream maker that made like 25 gallons of time. And uh, so I am very much in favor of the healing use of ice cream, gelato, and those kinds of things, which also do not require teeth. Yeah, I put a lot of, of ice cubes in, in my tea, and I want to tell you it's three weeks that I'm drinking ginger tea like crazy. Ah! And I wonder why. I mean, I, I always love ginger. It's not a new love in my life. But the fact that in the morning I, I'm running for it, ginger tea and honey, and then I make a, a, a huge teapot, and I drink it through the day on top of everything else that I am drinking. Why Why do I have this uh, extraordinary falling in love with it? Do you have any idea? Well, some people think that ginger is an herb that gives good, warm energy. And that as the weather cools, that ginger helps us stay warm and flexible and then it helps the digestion because again as the weather cools we tend to crave and eat fattier foods and ginger is right I do. help us with that <laughs> I eat a lot of potatoes and rice and uh, uh, polenta of course they are all soft yes right. because I love them right and so the ginger says I'll be right there to help you Okay. Well, I love ginger very much. <laughs> it's like part of my existence. Yeah, and of course I eat ginger pickle double in every Japanese restaurant I ever get with my daughter. Yay, ginger. <laughs> Juliet Berkeley-Levy was a big ginger lover. She always carried a bag of crystallized ginger with her. And yeah. she would she would pass it. And you sat with her for you know more than fifteen or twenty minutes. That bag of ginger would come out, and she would pass it around. And she told me that and this was this was a long time ago that she felt that it protected against contagion. That when there there was a gathering of people, that if you yeah. ate ginger, you would be less likely to get sick. Well, I didn't get the COVID, and I didn't get any injection for it either. And my family did, and they all got the COVID after the injection, <laughs> after the vaccine, yeah. Just goes to show, don't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't get it. But, you know, unfortunately, I have enough on my plate. Yeah. Yes. That I am so happy, yes. I, I do eat ginger every day. And I even suck on the root that I put in the teapot. Yum. <laughs> it's very strong. I love it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I feel uplifted and helped. God bless you. Blessings. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Love you. Bye-bye. I love you too, Susan. Bye.
All right, and we have two callers that have pressed one to signal that they have a question. Our next caller is dialed in from the 541 area code. From the 541, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Um, good evening. Um, I am calling um, kind of for a general question, um, but there's a lot going on in the story a little bit, so I'll um, just start with uh, what's going on with my six-year-old, and okay. then hopefully there's a little time to address a few things that's going on with me, but um, she was in the hospital in November with an appendicitis, and it had gotten to the point where it had ruptured and our whole family had had like the flu or bronchial illness around that same time so it was a little tricky to discern what was going on with her um but you know it kind of progressed where um she was sleepy had some fever, she'd just gotten over this cough and stuff, and then she started complaining of abdominal pain, and this went on for a couple of days, and finally we decided this is not normal and something's very wrong, and we took her to the ER. I took her to the ER, um, and my partner was here with our other two kids, and... Um, she ended up in surgery the next day, and I stayed with her for about a week in the hospital. And they were able to, you know, the, everything was very successful, and she recovered really well. And I did want to mention, you know, that I had my bag of herbs with me, and I had abundantly well with me, and I was able to resource from that as it was all happening. Um, oh, you can't imagine what a big, big smile that brings to me. Thank you for yeah. telling me that. It brings a smile to me, too. <laughs> um, so, you know, with what where we're at now, it's been a few weeks, and we've been home, you know, and... Um, kind of back into our normal routine and she had a follow-up visit that went pretty routine and fine. Um, the one thing I'm thinking about for her is helping her scars heal. She does have a scar right on her navel. They did a laparoscopic, so three incisions, small ones, but one was right at the navel and I can tell it's a little sensitive and like I can feel the toughness of the skin there. And I have been putting a little comfrey cannabis salve I made. Um any any salve that you use will be perfect. Okay. Yeah. Comfrey, excellent. Cannabis, fantastic. Calendula. Yeah. Okay. The three big C's, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. As a, yeah. a matter of fact, I don't know if you were listening to Sarah Ellen and I at the beginning of the show, and I was talking about reading this book, The Spanish Queen, and in it, Henry gets very, very sick with a, a plague that causes a very um, ugly uh, wound to develop on his body, and the doctor, who's the rare doctor apothecary, comes with his own ungent, his own salve that he's made. And what a miraculous healing this salve is, and how badly it stinks. And I stopped and I said, you know, I bet it's Comfrey's Comfrey salve, because Comfrey can really smell bad. Yeah. <laughs> and it would indeed, you know, cause that kind of healing. I remember my mother-in-law, who had one of the old, bad cesarean scars where they cut you from your belly button to your pubic bone. And she got rid of it by applying vitamin E oil to it. It took her years, and she applied it day and night, but she absolutely got rid of that scar. All right. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so I, what I learned from that was if you will faithfully apply any emollient uh-huh. to the area, whatever you have at hand, whatever suits you, whatever feels good, smells good, um, you will probably be able to totally clear the scar and especially since she's young yeah okay that's good yeah um, yeah I guess the <laughs> the lingering thing going on really is that I'm exhausted <laughs> and um, uh, yes I came home, basically recovered from my own illness in the hospital <laughs> when I was with her, because um, I I suspect possibly it was a I don't know it was bronchitis for sure like one of the worst respiratory bugs I've had in a while, um, and I think I've had a little bit of a UTI and I and I think that's just like this lingering tiredness. Um, and it's very exhausting to have your child be at death's door. Yeah. Yeah. I've been pregnant. Yes, I that. just got a letter from a correspondence course student who was saying that she was coming to an appreciation of what her mother went through raising her. Hmm. And she told me just about a couple of the really, like, Close calls that she had as a child. She got locked in the trunk of a car in the desert in over 100-degree heat. Wow. And was barely alive when she was found, but her mother had this psychic vision of where she was. Wow. So it's okay to be exhausted right now. Right. You have just put out a lot of energy. As you know, I am a great lover of echinacea. Uh-huh. And I think given all these infections around about, that echinacea for you, echinacea for your daughter, goodness only knows, maybe echinacea for everybody in the household, you know, at least twice a day wouldn't be uncalled for. 
glad one of the that. things that yeah. I did mm-hmm. when I tested positive for COVID, and it was very short, I had symptoms for about 36 hours, although it was a bad headache, um, was I took the remedies, bone set and echinacea, for 100 days. Oh, okay. I didn't just say, oh, okay, these, these symptoms are gone. I don't need to take these remedies anymore because I hear a lot about long COVID. And I hear a lot about how viruses settle in. And I hear from you about different kinds of infections. And in the past, I've been a little worried about using echinacea on a daily basis. But it's pretty much been something that I've needed to do, um, given certain things that I'm left with. And I've been amazed to see that um, none of the things that I was told would happen if you take echinacea every day have happened, basically. None of them. I won't even go into them because none of them happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've used, I think, a court this season. Um, right. <laughs> so we'll just keep going. That's why you want to make your own echinacea, because when yeah. you get into a situation like this, you're going to start going through a lot of it. Oh, my gosh, yeah. 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 So you're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. And the fact that you're exhausted, I think, is an excellent sign. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. I think I've had those moments like, well, yeah, you're tired. And um, there's just certain times where, where, yeah, you can kind of convince yourself that's not okay when the holidays are on the corner and dinner needs to be made and those things. But, yeah, can do what have to modify and allow that for ourselves. It's a good reminder, so... It's a good reminder, exactly, that it's good to do. We certainly do not want to give ourselves over to lethargy, but it is also good to not do and to uh, really restore yourself. You were in a situation where you were providing life support to another person. You now need to recharge and refill. Well, I think um, I think there will be more opportunities in the next two weeks than. Than not, so yeah. Good. Taking advantage of that. <laughs> Take advantage of that, right? Yeah. And you know, keep up with your nourishing herbal infusions. Nettle is such a good guardian of our energy. Yes, yes, nettle is definitely on the rotation. Um, and I'll just comment that you know, with the knowledge. There was there in the back of my mind things I've read from you um, 
you know, as well as other herbalists, but the one that really stuck with me through this experience was um, that going into deep medicine can produce um, you know, open can open you up to really healing and wonderful energy as well, even though it's scary and challenging. And I definitely, like, bonded in a way with my daughter that maybe we wouldn't have um, had that not happened. And there were other ways that our family kind of, you know, came together through that that I think will stick with us, so I wanted to share that. Thank you. And how blessed we are that you could go to a hospital, that she could be put into surgery safely and deceptively, and that she survived it. Yeah. Yeah, um... In any other time on this planet, those things would be miracles. Mm-hmm. And they're not less, really, than miracles now. It's, it, and to me, also, I am so incredibly, to this day, moved and awed by the focus, the attention, the training um, of the people who are there in the in surgery and doing that work. Yeah. From, the, you know, from the scrub nurses to the anesthesiologists to the surgeons to just everybody. It's a, a huge group of people working in a very coordinated way together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a whole new level of respect for those professions and we were treated really well we um you know i really felt a lot of trust um even though i knew you know the challenges and risks but it was modern medicine is very very good at emergency intervention it's one of its strong suits yeah and i could see that happening um and yeah i remember you know, I will remember a lot of those names and faces, definitely. Um, so, yes, very grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Susan. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for calling and sharing. And uh, I'll, I'm, I'm sure, take a trip around the memory wheel before I go to sleep tonight and have a big smile as I fall asleep remembering your words about having abundantly well there with you. All right. Yeah. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you so much. Good night. All right. I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question for Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hand in the queue. This time we have two callers that have pressed 1, and the next is dialed in from the 662 area code. From the 662, you are live with Susan. Thank you, Sarah Ellen, and hi, Susan. Hi. 
I'm a first-time caller. I've been listening to your show since February, and I just want to say I'm so thrilled to be talking to you tonight. I appreciate all that you do um, for the world to heal us, and thank you very much. You are welcome. Thank you. What's up with you tonight? I started with your nourishing herbal infusions in February of this year, so I've been doing those since that time. And I'm afraid that I have strained my right, I'm right side dominant. And in my quest to make the infusions um, a few at a time to save me from boiling the water, I've strained my elbow. And I've been treating it with a comfrey salve that I made this summer and drinking um, at least half of uh quart jar of comfrey a day probably for the last few weeks but it's um not a hundred percent healed and i just wanted to get your opinion on what next step i could do to heal it i know it probably needs more rest and i'm about to um, be off for a couple of weeks so that will help but is there anything else that you would recommend either internally or externally that i can do to help strengthen that pulled muscle, I guess, is what it is. So you have said your elbow a couple of times. Yes, my right elbow. So it makes it hard to lift things. Um, If I, like, imagine yourself grasping the top of a jar, a lidded jar, it's hard Uh to lift things that way. I can do it from underneath or from mm-hmm. side to side, but anything with that um, that pull-up motion, mm-hmm. it strains my elbow, and it's just sore generally all the time. And when you say it strains your elbow, is there pain in the top of your arm or just at the elbow joint? At the top of my arm. It's sort of, I could have looked the muscle up, but it, to me, it seems like the muscle um, that like if you crease your elbow. In a muscle. And you think that you strained that muscle by doing what? Lifting a water in a three-quart pan repeatedly with my right arm and not paying attention to the way I was standing when I did it. So I just kind of extended my arm and lifted it too many times with a heavy pot. I hear you. To make my... (laughs) I hear you. You know, in medieval times, when someone was wounded, they believed that the wound wouldn't heal unless the weapon was healed, too. Unless what now, Susan? Unless the weapon was healed, too. So the ointment they put on the wound, they also put on the weapon. So there's some, there's, you're in this pot. Yeah, okay. There's something going on between you and this pot here. Yeah, all right. I can downsize the pot. Um. (laughs) And so the pot, so the pot, you know, the pot wants something from you as well, and especially if you're continuing to use it. The thing that I find most difficult for most people is the idea that for every bit of time that you keep an injured area completely still, 
in the beginning, you save a week or two of healing at the end. Okay. And by that, what I mean is that when we have a strain or a sprain or an injury, we actually need to not use that at all. Not make that motion. Not pick things up. Not act kind of like we're okay except a little crippled. It's really hard. It's really hard for us because often it means that we have to ask for assistance. And about three weeks into it, um, in general, um, if there's a complete rest for the first seven to ten days, there'll be probably like 75 to 80 percent healing within six weeks. Okay. And, okay. And, and if, it, I can if it doesn't get that rest, then there can be extended time of soreness. The things you're doing are excellent things. Sometimes physical therapy can really help because they can give you focused exercises that help that particular muscle. Okay. I've started doing some somatic dancing as well to work through some grief. Ah, Is lovely. it okay if I use, use it in dance or should I really rest it and not um, and just try to you know do you well, think it would help as I said just three weeks into it so it's kind of a toss up and I would just really like get with your arm and say would you like to be like taped to you know you can use an ace bandage and like tape it to your body okay like, like put your hand across your waist and then get somebody to wrap an ace bandage around whatever's comfy right and you don't have to like do it you know 24 hours a day but if you okay. if you do it during the time when you would be most especially active and most tempted to use that arm, um, that complete rest often gives that extra that the muscle and the joint especially need to repair themselves. Okay. Okay. Um, and can I ask one more comfrey question? I attended your conference. I don't remember um, this specifically being addressed, but what about nerve damage? Um, can it repair nerve damage if you soak the place in, with comfrey or use a poultice? Comfrey isn't especially known for restoring nerves. There's a fair amount of scientific research showing how it affects bone tissues, how it affects soft tissues, but there's little to no research about any effects that it has on the nerves. The herb that most people think of when they think about nerves would be hypericum. Okay. Oat straw. And you massage it in, right? Oat straw, of course, is the great um, herb of restoring the nervous system. Okay. And red clover, which the root system of which looks like a nervous system, is also said to be 
helpful for the regrowth of nerves. Okay. <clears throat> oh, okay. Wonderful. Um, I think that about answers my questions. I, again, I just, um, I'm so delighted I got to speak with you. Thank you for calling. Green yes. blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. And it looks like we have one caller that has pressed one to let us know they have a question. And you're dialed in from the 401 area code. From the 401, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. I am at work, so I'll make this quick. Um, But first off, thank you so much for everything that you do. My life is so much better since listening to all of your wisdom on your podcast. So thank you. Thank you. You are welcome. So I am calling about echinacea tincture. So um, am I correct? that I heard you say that you can make the tincture with the dried roots? Of Echinacea augustifolia. Mm -hmm. Yes. So have you done that? No, I haven't. I I, I didn't know if you can. I'm just just double-checking that I did indeed hear you say that once on the show. Yes, absolutely, yeah. The... uh, the medicinal qualities are not maintained in dried purpurea root, but they are maintained in dried augustifolia root. As a matter of so fact, how it, would I, it's primarily what I use. I do have some beloved students who will gather now and then some fresh echinacea and you know, ship it overnight to me. So for myself, in very special circumstances, I will use the tincture that I have from the fresh root, but I was talking about taking echinacea, you know, for 100 days. That's tincture from the dried root that I made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I filled the jar about a third full with dried root, and then all the way to the top with 100-proof vodka. I'll make sure to shake it because the dried mm-hmm. root will absorb the vodka unevenly. Mm-hmm. And we often laugh about my uh, daughter coming home just in time her husband had decided to make some echinacea tincture and he filled the bottle up with dried echinacea and then poured vodka in and she saw what had happened and, and you know unscrewed the lid and the whole thing came up like a geyser <laughs> right because the dried root is going to swell and expand once it gets that moisture <laughs> so about a third full is just right and then, mm. while, you know, technically speaking, it's ready to use in six weeks, eh, it's not so good. Better after three months, best after a year. Mm. All right. I'll have to get started on that then. So we'll Get have to started. It's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. That, that was an easy question. That just about answers it. Um I have so many more questions in general for you, but I'll leave it at that for tonight. Thank you again. Okay. Since you're at work, I hope you can call back some other time. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. Bye. All right. And at this time, I do not see that we have a hand raised in the queue. I'll remind everyone again that if you've got a question this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. And what would you like to do, Susan? 
Are there any email questions? Uh, yes, we do have a couple of emails. Let me get those here. Okay. Oh, and we also just have a hand that went. Would you like to do the email or the, the hand? Well, we should definitely do the hand first. All right. From the 215, from the 215, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Mary from Philadelphia. I call in from time to time, and I've been listening for years. And I just wanted to learn a little bit more about the previous conversation with um, that the person brought up about asking about the nerves and the hypericum. Absolutely. Hypericum is thought to have a real affinity for the nervous system. And it's interesting. This is one of the few plants where herbalists and homeopaths agree. Usually we're going in different directions, and that makes perfect sense, you know. If you have an itchy rash, I give you something soothing, but the homeopath gives you poison ivy. But we all agree that if there's any neuropathy, if there's any disruption to the nervous system, that hypericum is the ideal herb for helping with that. One of the ways that I really see hypericum having a helpful impact on the nervous system is its ability to stop the pain of sciatica and stop the pain of shingles. Oh, wow. Aunt has shingles right now, and it's covering her face and her eye. It's crazy. So the tincture of hypericum perforatum made from the fresh flowering plant a dropper full taken at a time, several times a day, and the oil of the plant made from the fresh flowering plant applied to the lesions. It's really important not to like rub or disturb the skin, but just to kind of pat it on. Yeah. But I've often seen that treatment with the tincture internally and the oil externally resolve shingles in 36 hours. Oh, my gosh. I was meant to ask you about this. Wow. I'm going to have to tell her. It's very important that she not take it in capsules. Mm Mm-hmm. It's one of the things, you know, we're having a Hypericum conference this May. We'll start really talking a lot more about it. Um, well, not next week because Sarah Ellen and I are taking a holiday break. But a uh, week after that, as we move into uh, 2023, we're going to really be talking about the Hypericum conference and uh, mm-hmm. all of the amazing presenters that we have. And we're going to be learning so much from everyone about the ways that they use it. This is an herb that I love and that the people who use it, like Humphrey, absolutely adore. And it's incredibly annoying to us that uh, people are frightened of this. So helpful plant. You just have to avoid using the dried plant. As long as you're using the fresh plant, you're good. And if you had a 
you know, a cut or a surgery and there was nerve damage and say it's even an older, like, can it still help even on something that was older? Yes. Wow. Okay. I had, I had a friend. And I hugged this friend, and the friend went, oh, 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 that hurts, and kind of flinched away. And I thought, uh-oh, that could be like the very beginning of shingles. This friend's like in their 80s. And so I offered the friend some hypericum oil, and we rubbed the hypericum oil on their side. And again, shingles is usually one-sided, so that kind of like, flinching pain on the ribs on the side I'm like and I just checked in with him that was about a week ago and I just checked in with this person and they said oh the 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 oil was just amazing giving amazing relief and that so long as they remembered to put it on every morning and every night that there wasn't any pain there at all. But when they stopped doing it, it seemed to get a little painful. I thought, oh, that's so interesting. You know, it's like, I really, I, my sense is it shingles, like, you know, trying to come out, trying to come out. And so long as they just keep putting the oil on, the shingles can't come out. I'm not sure that I could get them to take the tincture, which I think the tincture being antiviral as well as a helper to the nerves is what really gets rid of it. Okay. Okay. So, it's, so I think it's really important to use both the oil externally and the tincture internally at the same time. So maybe looking at like Catskill Mountain Herbals, or you know, that's a that's a great place. Yes, wonderful. Okay. Perfect. All right. Thanks for your call. Thank you very much. Green blessings. Good night. You too. All right, and I do not see another hand up in the queue. I'll remind everyone, if you've got a question, please press 1 so we can see your hand go up. And uh, we do have an email. So we have a couple emails. Um, So here is our first. Uh, Hi, greetings from Athens, Georgia. I have a question about my dog who is only two years old and has started having pretty regular seizures. Our vet is not sure what is causing them, but has prescribed phenobarbital daily. I am wondering what you what what you think about me trying passion flower, either instead of or in addition to the medicine. Ideally, instead, I could add infusion to his food or freeze it as treats and give it an ice cube. I also have fresh flower tincture from what grows along our fence. If not passion flower, are there any herbs you could recommend to replace or reduce the drugs? Thank you. Oh, seizures are so difficult. And we're lucky to have drugs that can control seizures. Um, I worked many years ago with a couple of women who had seizures, and it was incredibly difficult. And we actually gathered a whole crew of, you know, people who were just starting out with acupuncture and seeing if acupuncture could help her and just a 
homeopathic remedies could help her, if herbs could help her, if massage could help these women. And um, no drugs. Drugs are really the only thing that stops a seizure for one of the women who was having grand mal seizures. Even the drugs wouldn't stop her seizures. And thus we can imagine the excitement, especially of parents, um, when it was learned that cannabis would stop seizures, especially infantile seizures and seizures in young children. And um, a drug has now successfully been made from that particular active ingredient in cannabis, um, which is available to stop seizures. Phenobarbital is a lot less expensive because it's a much older drug. Um, and would it hurt to give your dog passion flower? I don't think so. I don't think it would hurt at all. Can you give it along with the phenobarbital? I think that would be just fine. And um, check out, you know, what would be um, what would be a bad side effect? Would the dog get too sleepy with the dog? What would happen? Uh, so keep an eye out for that the first couple of times that you give the dog passiflora. And if all goes well, then continue. I figure that all is probably going to go well. Passiflora, to my mind, is um, such a loving and safer herb that I don't think that it would cause any problem. And, uh, again, it's a vexing, vexing problem. Do you have the shamanic skill to get into your dog's brain and change how your dog's brain is operating? That was one of the things we tried with the woman who was having the grand mal seizures. And even the most psychic and well-endowed psychics among us could not in any way change what was going on in that brain. When that brain went into a seizure, it was kind of like when a muscle goes into a cramp. Even a healthy, strong, and wonderful person can have a muscle cramp and there's just not a lot you can do about it once that muscle's in cramp except walk it off, wait it off and a muscle cramp is probably not nearly as severe as a seizure. So I wish I could be more helpful and offer you um, something else. We did talk um my friend and I earlier today about skullcap and the skullcap has been used for all things having to do with the skull. I don't think that skullcap would stop the seizures, but maybe I'm wrong. Talk to skullcap. Find out. Green blessings. All right. And uh, I'm checking the queue, but I don't see that our guest has, oh, yes, there she is. I do see our guest has arrived. Um, we do not have a hand up. We do have another email question. So what would you like to do? Oh, I think we should just go right ahead and talk with Dr. Melissa Sophia Joy. She's a naturopathic doctor and the founding director of Sophia Healing Academy. She's also the founder of Somatic Awakening, which is a transformative healing modality in the spiritual path of awakening. Dr. Melissa Sophia Joy is an internationally known spiritual teacher and author, a specialist in mind-body-spirit counseling. She's an ordained oracle and an intuitive with a capital I. 
Melissa Sophia Joy is also a carrier of an ancient wisdom tradition of opening to our own unique connection to the divine and tapping into the potent energy of healing that resides there. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Susan. It is such an honor and a delight to be here with you. We were just together, as it was, in an event called Crohn's Hags and Elder Wise Women. And in that summit, you talked about the initiatory power of menopause, something that is very near to my heart. And I didn't get a chance to really hear you, so could you fill me in on what you said? Absolutely, and it's, you know, very aligned to a lot of the wisdom that you have shared before, especially in the book, The Menopausal Years, and, you know, if if you don't mind, what I'd like to do, first of all, is just give a background in how I know you, because it's all really connected in, something that you probably don't know. Um, I first saw you at an herbal symposium in Tennessee back in the early 1990s. And there was some local male herbalist who had said something that was misogynistic. And you just spoke your truth and let him have it. And by the end of that, I wanted to know who you were and what you were up to because you were showing me, a young woman from the South, what it looked like to stand up in my truth in a very significant way. And you have been such a leader, um, a on so many different levels, but I know I have almost all of your books and um, have utilized them in my 20 years of practice. And I just want to thank you for myself and all of the herbalists of my generation for all the work that you've done. So first of all, namaste to you. <laughs> and um, uh, just to thank you, thank you, please thank you so much. Oh my goodness, that certainly brings me very delicious joy. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I just really wanted to tell that story because you were my first actually interface with herbalism. You were the first real herbalist that I'd ever met. I was in my early 20s and it really like struck a chord inside of me of, oh my God, what is this? I need to know these plants. So it really opened me to a journey of healing and eventually became a naturopathic doctor. And really, even from the get-go, I was very, very... Uh, interested in the wise woman way and very interested in menopause, even though when I first started practice, I was 32. So I had didn't have the experience of menopause and now I'm 54 and have, have had the experience of menopause. So I feel very honored to, uh, you know, escort many women through this process. And, um, you know, one of the things I just want to say first off about menopause is that so many women, especially at first, view menopause as a curse or worse. But when you dive into the powerful opportunity and journey that it offers, the, there is a doorway of so much empowerment, sovereignty, freedom, speaking our truth, living our passion in a much more significant way than prior to the menopausal journey. You know, and the menopausal journey can last quite a long time because that includes the perimenopausal time as well as the postmenopausal time. So it gives us lots of opportunity to step more fully into who we are. So are you saying that that no woman is ever done with menopause if it includes all of the postmenopausal time? 
Well, no, uh, not necessarily. I, I, I'm, I'm a little disturbed, and let me tell you why. <laughs> many, many, many years ago, before new menopausal years, the wise woman way was that when it was just menopausal years, and if you don't have new, uh-huh. you really need the new edition. Um, okay. I was on a television show. And there were, we were a panel, and there was an older male herbalist there who basically said that um, all women lost their usefulness when they entered menopause, and the uh, the only way to to keep yourself, you know, um, of any value was to take hormones. And oh. of course, needless to say, I did not agree with them at all. And, Absolutely. Uh, was just, even at that time, you know, talking about menopause as a passage to power. And I noticed as the show went on that he just, like, stopped saying anything at all. Uh-huh. And when the lights were off and the cameras were off and the mics were off, he turned to me and he said, you're going to ruin the life of any woman who listens to your nonsense. He said, oh, my goodness. Menopause is not power. He said, it's the end of the road. Oh, wow. He said, and I had been sitting here. I realized it was useless to say anything, and that what I had to do was I had to get people to stop using the word menopause. And so I'm going to start writing articles about perimenopause because perimenopause is obviously unpowerful. Mm. So let me ask you this. Were you ever in peripuberty? Can you say that again? I didn't hear that. Were you ever in peri-puberty? <laughs> well, it's about well, that absurd to call it perimenopause. Uh, exactly. Well, you know, there my is no perimenopause. I beg you never to again let that word escape your lips. It's menopause, and when we're done, it's postmenopause. Believe me, I am not menopausal right now at 77. Right, exactly. I am postmenopausal. So, absolutely. So if I if I can just jump in and clarify, because I absolutely 100% agree with you, and I work with women, you know, the, what I'll call the first flush of menopause then, right, which can yeah. be 10 years before they stop bleeding, and, you know, the time when the estrogen can actually go high, and they're like, what's going on? I'm going crazy, right? So we'll ca- I will just call it the first flush, which is different than postmenopausal, which is, you know, and what I'm talking about specifically is when women are still having the symptoms or hot flashes, night sweats, etc. Not postmenopausal. Menopause is not your last bleeding. So, so in that process. Postmenopausal is when you're symptom free. There you go. So you can't say it's postmenopausal and you're still having symptoms because that's like saying you're pregnant, but you're hoping that you'll be able to get pregnant. From my definitions, it really, you know, I'm like, whatever works, but the way that it was taught to me by the white is woman. Is puberty the first day you get your blood? Is, it, it, well, let me, I would just like to finish my sentence. So what I was going to okay. say is that menopause, the way that I learned it was it's the 13 months from the time that you stop bleeding until after the, you know, the 13 months post that. So however you want to define it, you are the elder here. I am going to acknowledge your perspective. Okay, so I have defined <laughs> menopause, and I have defined menopause in my book as that period of time uh, when you first say, is this menopause, until 
at least 13 moons after your last period. Great. That sounds I have met me. women who got pregnant three years after their last period. They obviously weren't postmenopausal. Right. Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> but again, what I'm establishing is that all of that is menopause in the same way, that puberty is not nearly the first day that you bleed. Absolutely. And my sense of it here is that what we what we need to do, and this is a lot of the work that I'm doing, what we need to do is even taking out the word men, of course, it's menstruation, but, you know, there's a lot of patriarchal perspective in that we have a lot of scientific terms, and then there's the actual experience. So I really honor you in, in redefining that, right, as compared to how I learned it as a naturopathic doctor, right? So, so absolutely, I, I totally hear where you're coming from. Two renowned naturopathic doctors wrote a book, which was claimed to be the best book on herbal medicine ever written, in which they said that really clean women neither menstruated nor went through menopause, and that both things are signs of aberration. I find naturopathy in general to be woman-hating. Hmm. My experience of it as, an, as, you know, going through naturopathic medical school, my experience of it is that it was really focused a lot more on science. I, I personally, you know, I'm very keen of misogynistic anything. Um, a lot of my teachers were female. A lot of my teachers were very, very open-minded and liberal. However, when I connected into the general um, community of naturopathic doctors, what I experienced is that it was just very analytical and very mental. Not a lot of connection into the feminine energy of emotion and spirit and mind-body connection. So that's honestly, that's why I've pulled back from that community, even Mm. though I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still integrated because I, in terms of naturopathic medicine, I still practice it, but I practice it in a very, very, very different way than most naturopathic doctors. Tell us about that. That was the original question was about kundalini and menopause, and this is very interesting, too, how you've, how you've changed. Yeah, you know, I like to... Uh, practice what I, what, or let me let me rephrase that. I like to preach what I, I practice, so to speak. So, for me, I really wanted to live the process. I wanted to live in alignment with food. I wanted to live in alignment with herbs. And from that experience, I also wanted to drop deeper into my own healing. I actually had a decade-long dark night of the soul that through all of the science and the linear aspect and what I'm supposed to do and who I'm supposed to be out the window and that also threw out the window like all of the ideas that I'm supposed to practice in an integrative medical office and it's supposed to look like this so after that experience or actually really during that experience I stepped out as a medical intuitive I stepped out as a mind-body spirit specialist as an oracle because, you know, ascended masters and angels were talking to me. And so I really kept on expanding wider and wider and wider that field. 
and then from there had the experience of being taught by these different ascended masters, especially Mary Magdalene, this process that deeply heals our internalized contractions, our energetic, you know, the, the, the trauma that's held in the body, especially the energetic contractions of it, as well as the negative voices, so that we can be freer and freer. And, of course, that's connected to our physical healing as well. And I've had a lot of different patients go through that process and, uh, you know, come to me with very physical issues that were connected to trauma. And we've been able to really very, very powerfully decrease their symptoms to the place where they're no longer there. Uh, of course, also utilizing herbalism and, you know, food at the same time while they're working these deeper issues. Wow. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a journey. That's it has sure. been a journey. You mm-hmm. first read about the idea that hot flashes might be connected to Kundalini in my book, New Menopausal Years. Now mm-hmm. that you are in your mid-50s and have gone through a few hot flashes yourself, what do you have to say about that idea? Oh, it's absolutely right on. <laughs> From my own experience, now I can say it, uh, but also through leading, you know, other women through this process as well. And you know what I what I find is that you know the the Kundalini rising definitely it is completely connected in my own experience with the hot flashes and night sweats. And at first, for me, the the night sweats and the hot flashes were so profound. I needed to find a way to cool them down, so to speak. So I used a lot of phytohormonal and cooling herbs. And then what I discovered is that once I got to the place where it wasn't so out of control, it wasn't so overwhelming to my being, that I could track it. I could track the nuances and the energetic flows of the kundalini underneath the hot flashes and the night sweats. And, um, you know, I really discovered that the kundalini that is arising through us is actually bringing these surges up from the shadows up into our consciousness. So let me just unpack that a little bit. So in this process, we have more ability to make contact with how these surges are activated in alignment with the things that are happening in your life. So say, for instance, there may be a trigger of something in our shadow that needs addressing. So perhaps there's a fearful, anxious thought about work that's coming up in the middle of the night. And that's connected to something that happened that day, but actually it may be connected to some buried trauma. And this experience is being magnified by the energies of the kundalini that's being activated. And it's activating the night sweat. So what I discovered is that when I actually slowed everything down and brought in the deeper inquiry, asking questions, you know, what is this thought? Where does it arise from? What is it truly connected to? I discovered that I actually was then able to bring in deeper healing to what was really going on. And then with that, I was able to set more into clarity, freedom, and empowerment. This is part of the initiatory journey that I see of menopause. And then also through that process, my night sweats and hot flashes started to decrease. So absolutely, I have felt and sense this powerful connection of these surges of energy, of kundalini energy. Yes. And see, 
I'm remembering hearing Le Boyer speak about birth and speak about his fascination with the fact that birth is orgasmic and how mm-hmm. every, culture, every culture in the world does their best to interfere with that. Mm-hmm. He says there is something that is so threatening in a way to that full expression of being a woman that it is culturally shut down. And there's the obvious misogynies and there's the more subtle places that you are starting to uncover where the model is women's energy, but it's been fed back to us as though it was men's energy. Right. Yes. And I thank Mary Daly for helping me, you know, see through the looking glass and be able to see what is written backwards and upside down. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Bring that back into use. So as as an intuitive and as someone who is an oracle, how does that impact how you work with others? Mm, very significantly, actually, because just connecting to what you just said, um, a lot of the energy that I work with it, first of all, is connecting with their authentic spirit, their soul imprint, who they are, right? Bringing that out. And for very often, women who have gone through especially sexual abuse or misogynistic relationships, being suppressed, victimization, all of that, right? It is important to realign them with their true essence, who they really are, the true feminine energy that resides in the core of their being. Uh, But to do that, we have to heal and transform all of the, I was going to say a cuss word, I won't say that, all of the stuff, (laughs) all of the stuff that has been overlaid, all the patriarchal overlays, that includes not only this lifetime, but past lifetimes as well, right, in that process. So for me, what I most align with in terms of the um, ascended masters that I work with and the divine energy that I work with is primarily feminine. I work with uh, the divine mother energy. I work with the divine feminine Christ council energy. And very often they're coming through in transmission helping the usually I, I work with women 99% of everyone that I work with are women and usually what they're what they're sharing is how to free themselves connected to whatever they're going through not just the physical issue even though of course that is incorporated in whatever we're we're talking about but the deeper energetics because that's really what we are as women we are being invited cajoled into at this stage of the game we are invited and cajoled and sometimes you know lovingly pushed (laughs) more into our power and who we really are because we're needed to bring balance into the world
women are without a doubt needed. Mm-hmm. That's we right. all come from the mother. Yes. Wow. Yes. I'm not so sure about feminine, however, because feminine is a cultural concept. And we're actually mm. at a historical point where the whole concept of feminine and masculine is once again being challenged. hundred years ago, baby boys were dressed in pink because it was the color of war. And baby girls were dressed in blue because it was the color of calmness. And so blue mm. was a feminine color and pink was considered a masculine color. That's how quickly feminine and masculine change even within a culture. That's why I don't use those words. I am a feminist. Mm. I would rather be a womanist than a feminist, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not going to take that one on. That one's too entrenched, right? But yeah. other than that, you know, I've had the least feminine woman I've ever seen as a woman giving birth. Mm. Mm. But she well, is all woman. Yes, you know, my sense of it is that it's important to really open it all of the all of the conversations about what identity really really means, right? Because it's, you know, really what we're doing. My sense of it is that we're being invited to to reconcile our, our inner polarities, the light and the dark within us, and that absolutely means the masculine and feminine principles within us. So whenever I say feminine, what I'm talking Uh-oh. about is the, is the so I guess the masculine is light, just, feminine is dark. No, 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 no. I mean, two different things. No, no. I mean, well, what you just I, said like dark masculine about, and feminine yeah. sure sounded to me like you were linking them up. Well, let me define it for you. So okay. what I mean is that there, within all of us, there is a feminine principle and there's a masculine principle within all of us. Do not agree at all. And, Absolutely okay. do not agree. I'm going to stop you right there. Every cell okay. in my body is XX. I do not have any man within me. Well, I'm not talking about the physical body. I'm talking about on a spiritual essence. On a spiritual essence, I'm 100% woman. Okay. I don't need men. There's no male part of me. I want to be powerful. I'm a powerful woman. I don't have to look to men to understand power. As a matter of fact, the more I look to men to understand power, the less effective I am. I am not and half man, but every man is half woman. That is true. Every man has X and Y. He is half woman. And in order to be whole, he has to find that part of himself. But I, as a woman, have no need of any kind of being balanced with any kind of male energy. So that's, I completely bow to that perspective, and I'm not going to argue with you at all about it. But I will say, and from my perspective, and just to clarify what I was talking about before, in the reconciliation of inner polarities, what I was talking about with the light and the dark, what I meant is actually very connected to what I teach in the world, which is connecting to the light of our spirit, the light of the divine, moving into our being and actually merging and working with, coming into relationship, the dark of our shadow. So that's what I was talking about with that. I had no connection into the masculine feminine principles. So just to clarify so that. Honor, honoring our brightness and honoring our deepness and darkness. Right. Exactly. That, that, we, all must, that means. we must nourish our wholeness. 
Exactly. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work to nourish positivity or nourish light. As and well, as I as I saw one day, and I'm sure as an intuitive, you might have seen something like this too. People talk about surrounding the planet in light. Well, the only physical way to surround the planet in light is nuclear war. It's a planet that's half dark and half light at any given moment. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of different terminology that we can we can actually look at and what is true for us and what is true for you know for others. My experience is that I've offered a lot of different, or let's just say this, I, I have a monthly event and sometimes, you know, like on a winter solstice or summer solstice, the guides will come through and bring in a huge amount of energy into the planet, right? And so that, some people can perceive that as light. Some people can perceive that as, you know, other types of energy, right? So the bottom line in terms of how I see of what's, what our, our planet really needs on so many, so many different levels of healing are needed. And part of that is this transmission of energy onto the planet so that we can actually utilize that in our own healing individually and collectively. So that's something I, that's something I'm going to be doing on the winter solstice. I have an event coming up. <laughs> They're like, we're going to be bringing in more more energy to the planet. I'm like, great, let's do it. So let's do it. Tell people how they can let's connect do with it. you. Do something like this. So they can uh, find out more about uh, what I teach on my website, SophiaHealingAcademy.com. That has all the information about. Uh, my classes, I have a membership um, that offers these monthly events. And then also I have another website, somatic-awakening.com, and that uh, website is specifically for my practice and sharing more with people what I do in terms of my one-on-one work with people. We've used the word somatic a couple of times here tonight. Let's be Mm -hmm. there about what that is because everybody may not be. Absolutely. So the way that I define somatic is that it is the interface between the physical, emotional, and energetic aspects of self. And I have been shown, come to that awareness of that definition, because uh, in the work that I do with people, we're not just coming into connection with the physical body, although that's a huge part of what we're connecting with. It's also how the physical body holds the emotions as well as the energy. There are three aspects, but they also have that interface uh, within the somatic body. Mm. So there's a somatic body where there can be exchange between the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. Yes, exactly, exactly. And by you know, it's a lot. Of- with the somatic body, we are at 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 the the core of of everything. In many ways, absolutely. Of our within our being, we are at the core because it is what's holding perhaps for instance what's holding an energetic contraction that may be you know on the 
energetic level of being, it's holding emotions within it, and it's also perhaps decreasing life force in a specific area, which decreases the functioning of that area. Say, for instance, a, 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 a story I was just writing the other day because I'm, I'm writing a book and this story was in it. A, a woman that I've worked with for a couple of years, she has these ha, has had these ongoing gastrointestinal issues. And whenever she first came to me, she had tried all sorts of everything, you, you name it, everything from naturopathic doctors, other naturopathic doctors to um, MD specialists, et cetera. So what I discovered is that she had really very intense trauma starting at an infant. And so we started doing this deeper somatic work and there was huge contractions of trauma that were stored in her solar plexus exactly where the issues were in her stomach primarily and also in her small intestine. And as we started doing this work somatically, you know, working, utilizing this interface of the physical, energetic, emotional, along with her spirit, her higher self coming in and making contact with all these different energies, bringing healing and transformation to them. What happened is that she started feeling better. Her physical symptoms went away. She started feeling freer, more healed in her being, uh, not only on a physical level, but on an emotional level and on a psychological level and more sovereign in her life. So amazing things can happen when you're working with the somatic level of being. Absolutely, because Mm -hmm. what I like about the somatic is that it is free of the uh, judgment of higher or ascended. I also have Mm -hmm. a hard time with those things because we're talking about wholeness, and wholeness does not exist if something is higher than something else. Wholeness can Mm. exist if something is ascended. As soon as it's higher or ascended, then down and black become bad. So these these are very deep cultural things that we've been brought up with, you know, deep, uh deep ingrained in us that we have to take a step back from and say, what what would it be like if instead of saying a higher being, I said a deeper being? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in my again, own experience, remember, high, white, male is the triad. Deep, dark, female is the other triad. Every time we go high, every time we go ascended, we are putting women down, literally. Talk about so really at interesting. It. Yeah, well, it's really interesting because what I've been shown through deep connection with divine mother is that as we connect, instead of using the word higher self, I'm going to use the word spirit because that is the same to me. So as we connect with our spirit, which is different from our soul, this is how I've been shown soul is inside of us, right? Usually uh, within our being that is holding the core of the divinity within us, right? So absolutely divine lives inside of us. But as we bring in our spirit, which the, the, you know, our spirit lives in our being, but also is connected to our higher chakras, right? So as we bring in more there you go, higher. of this, well, as go we higher. bring in from these, these energies that are above us down into our body, that this is actually the divine feminine awakening because we're going down and into 
down and into our being for embodiment so that we can actually embody more and more of our divinity within our everyday life. That's my experience. Whatever words you want to use to define that, mm-hmm. you know, we can nitpick the words all day long, but this is my experience, and this is what well, I, I teach. Yeah, I really this is the healing that I teach. This is the awakening that I teach. This is how I actually live my life and what I teach in the world. So, you know, to me, yeah. the, 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 the words are important, and at the same time, it's the experience of actually – Finding that wholeness, which it includes the higher and the lower, the in and the out, the right and the left, the up and the down, all of it, right? Our deep connection to Gaia, our deep connection to divine above us, our deep connection to divine in our heart, our deep connection to divine in our hands, what we're doing in the world. So this is how I view holistic. I'm a very holistic person. So you are. It's wonderful. I so enjoy you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to keep all those balls going, and you do it really well. Thank you very much. You too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, we are getting down to the last few minutes that they give us. So I want to ask you if there's anything you wanted to talk about that you haven't talked about yet. Well, I'll just, uh, I think that the the most significant thing is, you know, just to name uh, what I've been talking about in this process of that I call somatic awakening. This is the work that I teach now in the world. Uh, I'm writing a book on it and it is a multifaceted system. I'm not going to go too much in there, into it. I know that we need to end in just a moment, but it has three different phases, everything from really bringing understanding and balance and stability to our negative voices to deep transformative healing of any trauma or negative conditioning all the way to embodying who we truly are into the world because we, we're all needed to show up now because the world needs us. And, you know, we are the ones who we've been waiting for. So I am fully on mission, so to speak. So thank you so much for inviting me here. It's been a pleasure. Oh, I am so thrilled that you are doing this work and sharing it and being such a powerful voice and resource for other women to find their own power. You know that I think that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. I see us all at work in our lives, gathering the fibers and spinning the threads and finding the dyes. And that we come with these threads in our hands as offerings to the great reweaving, hardly even knowing as we make them how they're going to be used, what kind of pattern is going to emerge. One seer said to me, you know, we all have the ability to see. I just happen to get a seat by the wall where there's a crack and so I can see out. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it just struck me so, you know, her her understanding that 
um, and your understanding that we all see. And some of us just have a, a, a another crack that we can see out through. We happen to get the window seat uh, when they <laughs> well pass out the seat. So uh, thank you for telling us what's out there as you see it go by in our journey as the weaving takes place and you can see the pattern emerge and share it with us. We are blessed. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. And it's my deep pleasure, honestly, to, to be a part of the healing of the world. Uh, this is exactly where I need to be. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And Sarah Ellen, thank you again and again and again for helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Green blessings, everybody. A reminder, Sarah Ellen and I will be drinking eggnog next Tuesday. We won't be with you, but we'll be back the Tuesday after that. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.